This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Coming up on our program today, one state lawmaker wants to make do not resuscitate orders eligible for people under the age of 18. Municipal elections coming up on the 4th. Our Secretary of State will be along with some general information for you. And a drive through that has been around since the late 40s. We'll talk to the owner. Uh, Governor Mike Parson on his wish list is to expand I-70 to six lanes in St. Louis, Columbia, and Kansas City. It's a price tag of almost $860 million. Elisa Nelson talks to Morgan Mundell with Missourians for Transportation Investment to give us a recap on where the I-70 plan stands. Just talk about the significance of the I-70 corridor first here in Missouri. Well, sure. Um, I-70 carries roughly one-third of the entire state's traffic on, on our major highways, and it's an important economic conduit for businesses to move their, their goods and products to market. Um, agriculture uses I-70 all of the time to ship their 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 crops uh, across I-70 into the port of St. Louis, and uh, 67% of the state's population lives within the 50-mile corridor of I-70. So it's a very important piece that we need to maintain and take care of and, and make sure that it's in proper working order. So uh, that's those are startling statistics. It's like, whoa, um, that's big. So where does the governor's I-70 expansion plan stand at this point? Can you kind of give us a recap on that, Morgan? Sure. Um, the original, the original amount that the governor put forward was 859 million um, to do a section in the uh, outlying outside of Kansas City, uh, the Columbia section from Midway to Route Z, and then uh, a St. Louis section around the Warrenton and Winsville areas. And uh, that went through the House Appropriations for Transportation Committee. Um, they made an amendment and they took 20 million of about 859, and they reallocated it to the I-44 environmental work that needs to be done before we can work on I-44. And um, that went moved on to the House Budget Committee. And then the House Budget Chair, Cody Smith from Carthage, Missouri, uh, made some amendments. Uh, the money was, all of the money was cut, all $859 million, uh, was cut from House before. But uh, the budget chairman did say that, you know, he, his plan was to, to address I-70 in House Bill 19, which is the capital improvements bill. And uh, we have, we're waiting for the House Budget Committee to take up that bill and, and to see what happens with it there. And I hear that uh, that could include several different smaller roads projects around the state instead of the focus on I-70. So it'll be interesting to see what that might look like. Now, would this maybe include also work along I-44? And I know you talked about that some there. We're waiting to see, um, you know, just exactly what they what they do. Right now, there is no general revenue appropriated whatsoever uh, for I-70 or I-44. Um, as you mentioned, you know, there is some discussion about taking the governor's $859 million and, and redistributing it to the uh, projects that are on MoDOT's unfunded needs list. Um, I've heard arguments that, you know, we shouldn't do I-70 because it's not on the unfunded needs list, but, but that's very incorrect. I-70 has been on MoDOT's plan for literally years now, and 
the I-44 environmental work has been uh, on the uh, unfunded needs list for, I believe, about six months or so now. So we're, we're waiting to kind of see what they do. Um, obviously, there's a lot of public discussion in the in the in the building, and and there's been some news articles and interviews given, and and we're just waiting to see how it how it plays out and what the house ultimately does with the governor's money. Yeah, it's it's interesting um, that we have this uh, tax cut plan. I think it's about one billion dollars is the price tag on that that has gone through the house, and then also we've got things in the budget that have been changed, things have been reduced, other things have been added. So it's a long process. We'll see what all shakes out. Now the House starts on Governor Parson's state budget proposal this week, uh, at least debate uh, on the budget uh, in the full House. Morgan Mundell with Missourians for Transportation Investment joined Show Me Today to talk about where things stand on the I-70 plan that the governor has proposed. And uh, Morgan and the in the transportation group have been pushing for I-70 to include additional lanes. Now, it, it looks like the state Senate budget leader, Senator Lincoln Huff, has a whole other plan for I-70. Uh, what can you tell us about his, his proposed I-70? Ideas or what he's thinking about, uh, what kind of ideas he has on I-70? Well, he, he's come out and proposed that, that we actually expand and do more of I-70, um, you know, to get it done. Uh, there, there's some ideas floating around about increasing the governor's amount, and there's ideas that are floating around about doing some additional bonding. Um, you know, the bond, the bridge bonding program was incredibly popular. That was done in 2019. Uh, it'll be paid off in 2025, and all of the bridges that are in that program uh, are either they've been done or they're under contract or under construction. So it, it's a huge win for MoDOT for them to be able to deliver that much work. Um, I believe it's like $300 million worth of work in just a handful of years. And so I think that you know, bonding is certainly a consideration when you look at the track record of what's been done. Um, and, you know, if we get 70 done and, and got it out of the way, then we can automatically shift our focus to Interstate 44. And that's why we would like to see the Missouri legislature, you know, appropriate money for the I-44 environmental study. Uh, while we have the dozers and, and the earth movers on 70 and we're getting 70 fixed um, and preparing it for the next couple of decades, we can start the work, the administrative work that needs to be done on 44, and then we can simply shift down to 44 and have that interstate done, redone as well. Do you know what the traffic flow is like on Interstate 44 versus what you had talked about um, on or what compared to I-70? Um, the I-70 numbers um, and I-44 numbers that I have seen, uh, roughly uh, passenger vehicle traffic is about 30% higher on I-70 than it is I-44, and the uh, commercial traffic on 70 is about 25% more than I-44. Curious, do you know as far as um, what Senator Huff would like to do? Do you happen to know what the price tag on that would be? Um, I'm not sure exactly what he's looking at. I, I would leave it back to him for him to say. But what I can tell you is the unfunded need, the unfunded portion of I-70 uh, between Blue Springs and, and roughly Wentzville and in that area is about $2.8 billion. 
Wow, that's a that's a long stretch. <laughs> um, that's from one end to the other, basically. And let me tell you, I know I I, I keep barking up this tree, but Wentzville is the worst in that area on I seventy. <laughs> I mean, these are the House Budget Committee Chair Cody Smith, Senator Lincoln Huff, the Senate Budget leader. They're like on complete opposite spectrums here. I mean, in terms, but I realize, I mean, Cody Smith is not, he's, he's putting this into um, a different bill and looking at it maybe differently. But what I'm saying is they're, they're, they seem very far apart right now. Do you suppose I-70 and what happens in the end here come May? think we'll be meeting somewhere in the middle on this? Uh, usually, it's been my experience in the Capitol that when you when you have two two spectrums on each end, and that's why we have a two chamber uh, legislature, is that we'll probably end up somewhere in the middle. What else do you think is important for Missourians to know about when it comes to this I seventy plan, um, I forty four, any other roads projects in Missouri? Is there anything else you think they need to know? Well, I think I think we have a historic opportunity to fix Interstate 70. Um, we we the state has wrestled with that interstate um, for years. It is a statewide asset, and uh, you know we have a great uh, step, which is the statewide transportation improvement plan. Um, MoDOT is nationally recognized for how they conduct kind of the prioritization of projects in the state, but we have. I-70 has always been pushed off the side simply because it's it's been so big. And, you know, once again, if, if, if the Missouri legislature can't agree to tackle the critical, critical problem that's Interstate 70 when we have all of this record financial surplus, my, my question is, when will they? This, this is the time. As the governor said, the time is now. We can't afford to not to. All right. Morgan Mandel with Missourians for Transportation Investment. Show me the day. We all make choices about alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em. Remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. As an adult, kids want to know you're listening to them, but they also want to listen to you. When it comes to alcohol, they want to know your expectations and how and why to avoid underage drinking. Talking early and often about it in everyday conversations reinforces your message and keeps lines of communication open. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Over the past few years, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected how we live our daily lives. Today, one in five Americans experience emotional and mental health challenges, but many of us do not understand what we are facing or how to ask for help. At the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, we work every day to eliminate stigma, combat mental illness and substance use disorders, and advance mental health. If you or someone you love needs help, you are not alone. Please visit mentallyhealthynation.org to learn more. I see you finally got a new helmet. I did. Bought it cheap online. <laughs> Follow me. We'll turn off here. I'm right behind you. 
Watch the cars. They can be crazy. Patty! No! Are you okay? Somebody do something! Was this young man hit by a car? Yes, and his helmet is smashed. It's a brand new helmet! It's probably a fake. Fakes cause real harm. You're smart, buy smart. Brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Welcome back to Show Me Today. I'm Bill Pollack. I want to welcome our latest Show Me Today radio station affiliate, KJF, in the Twin Cities. And uh, for those of you outside that area, that's Festus and Crystal City. And KJF serves Jefferson County. So it's great to have you listening. Hope you enjoy our show. We'll give you a lot of fun and interesting guests and stories, uh, like our next one, Gordon Stop Light Drive-In. It's been a staple of the Twin Cities. The place is so good, they've never changed their recipes. The owner, Chris Grass, is here with me and Cameron Connor. Chris, welcome. Uh, how and when did Gordon's get started? Gordon's was opened in 1948 by a gentleman named Gordon Heddle. Uh, he owned and operated it up until 1997, where my family bought it. Um, Gordon was actually a neighbor of my mother growing up, so he was kind of a family friend our whole lives. And when he was, uh, he was just uh, just under owning it for 50 years when he was kind of time to give it up and we we stepped in wow fantastic stuff to to give me a little bit more about gordon can you t- can you tell me about who gordon heddle was and i guess what his philosophy was behind the restaurant uh he he that i'm not sure about the philosophy except he he did everything the same he used the best ingredients on everything and uh he had you know he had his hand on anything that went out the store and kept a close watch on everything and when uh when we took over he showed us exactly how he did things and how he wanted things done and and we we listened to the man since he was so successful for nearly 50 years we we didn't change a thing we walked right in and took everything he taught us and showed us how to do and just uh, kept going on with that for the last uh, almost 25 years now. Wow. So wait, hold on. So haven't changed a thing. So since 1948, everything's been the same. Uh, Everything within everyone's, uh, if it's physically possible not to change anything is, you know, of course there's been a few suppliers go out of business and, and brands go out of business or we had to, you know, pick up with something else but anything anytime we had to change any type of uh, ingredient or supply uh everything's been you know as close as original as possible you know the onion rings really is the only thing we've had to had any kind of uh had to do any kind of substituting with just because the company went out of business and that was during covid but everything else is uh exactly how we've been shown from gordon what a great little history tidbit and a way to control your quality for the excellence that's 
been exhibited for so many years now. So I, I guess it's like one of the more one of the curiosity things that that has come to mind for me. What what would you say is the most popular thing ordered here? Well, the the most popular things we have uh, a lot of out of town customers and passerbys. They'll just get a double cheeseburger, and then you know everything we do is made to order. So they'll kind of get it topped however they want, but. For the locals, you know, anybody that's been coming for several generations, it's the jumbo burger, which is our house-made slaw, topped, our burger topped with house-made slaw, chopped onions, and our own barbecue sauce, which for most locals, that's the, that's the go-to. I'm not going to lie. That sounds delicious. I'm excited to go down here. It, and it's really good. <laughs> it is really good. Yeah, and, uh, or, or another another local favorite, um, we, you know, our house-made chili, which we've, we've had the same recipe for 75 years. We make it the same every time and uh, we do a coney island which is a all beef hot dog fried with slaw onions and then topped with our our house chili which is phenomenal not gonna lie i'm getting excited (laughs) with every other answer you give what about have have any of you ever taken let's say for a local that's come forever or something have you ever taken a request and made something really really bizarre or experimented or (laughs) have you mainly stayed to the to, to the originals yeah, I mean, we'll we'll put we put together any any combination of toppings we have there. We'll we'll we can put it together right on the spot. We have uh, here here recently for some reason uh, eggs on the burger has been a popular popular kind of addition that we've been doing quite a bit of. And on the uh, the jumbo burger, people have taken that up a notch lately, and they'll add cheese, bacon, and jalapeno to it, and it's it's really really good. Oh, I bet so. People getting experimental in the best of ways. You can never. Never go right. <laughs> wrong when you're messing with great food and great beef, great burgers. So I guess it seems like from all the pictures I've seen, from the articles I've read, the pi- the type of burger you make is consistently and always the smash burger, correct? Yeah, it is a smash burger, and we've been doing it, like I said, for 75 years, probably longer than anybody you know, in the country, aside maybe Steak and Shake, they're, they've been around that long. But I know it's a, it's a big fad right now across the nation. There's been several smash burger chains and smash burger restaurants has been popping up but we've been we've been uh one of the first to do it and we've been doing it the longest and i feel we do it the best and for those of you just now listening this is show me today the voice of missouri i'm cameron connor we're here with chris grass he's the owner of gordon's stoplight drive-in it's been a staple since 1948 in crystal city area and we're just really talking about the history behind it and what makes it so special for the community going back to smash burger versus regular burger I personally am a huge Smashburger fan myself, so the fact that I don't I don't know what it is, just to see the patties that thin gristling on a griddle or anything like that, it gets it gets the mouth watering. What do you think is the pros for why you should choose a Smashburger versus I guess your other type of stereotypical burger? I I I like the sm- I like the seared crust. Ours have a a nice crust around them. Um, we use a special a special technique and a special a special secret that we do that any smash burger place I've ever been to, they don't do it exactly like we do. And that kind of sets us apart. I think, um, I just like the seared crust it puts on it. It's a thin burger. You can stack them up if you want to. Um, you know, you're not going to get a rare burger from us. You can do them a little bit medium, but as far as, you know, if you want a thick burger and you want one rare, it's going to be red inside. The smash burger is really not your, not your way to go. Um, but you know, it's just a totally different texture and taste when you flatten them out like that versus a thick burger, in my opinion. My other personal reason for why I love it so much, and it goes back to our previous conversation, you can get so much more experimental with them because since those patties are so crisp and so thin, you can really start stacking or doing whatever <laughs> whatever you want. In right, yeah, I think our, our our record down there, we had a, a guy 
I, I believe we had a one kid. He wanted 16. He wanted a 16 stack. And then after he did that, one of our employees at the time said he wanted to beat that. So I think a 20 stack right now is our record down there. <laughs> a 20 stack burger. And someone ate the whole thing in one sitting? Yes. Ate, ate the whole deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! How would you even... Like you couldn't even open a jaw wide enough. It was, was, a, it like a, it was fork a fork yeah, and knife. It was, it was a fork and knife. It was a fork and knife type of deal. <laughs> okay, well that's good to know. That's still fan- a twenty stack burger. That's unbelievable. <laughs> the uh, the next question that I really have for you, Chris, is for the people that are coming by and such. We talked about you know maybe the most quote unquote popular thing that people order, whether it just be like a double stack and fries or something like that. But this is a staple for this Crystal City and Festus community. How rewarding is it? To, to serve as that for the community, to be that staple, to have those returning guests all these years for you owning it and you doing this practice. How's it been for you? Yeah, it's, it's been really great. We've got, we've got regular customers from literally all over the country. I've got a family that it's from here that lives in Seattle now, and they're, they're literally in our store more than some people that live in town. They're, they're in at least 12 times a year because they'll come in for three or four days at a time and they're in once or twice every single day they're in town. And, you know, that's great. We've got, you know, generations of people that are, you know, we've had people that have worked for us that are bringing their kids in now. We've had people that worked for us that kids are working for us now. You know, and we've only been doing it, you know, been there 25 years, you know, not, not, not alone the 50 years prior to that where Gordon was there. But we've got literally generations upon generations of people that, have been eating it their whole lives and you know when they marry into someone from out of town you know they bring them in and they fall in love with it and just kind of a chain reaction where we have a a huge huge clientele from the that's not even local anymore from all over the country that you know the first time they get in town when they get off the airplane they come straight to us and it's it's really nice to talk to them and catch up with them a few times a year they are in such a special experience that that's for sure chris for anyone who hasn't had the privilege to go down this way yet to Gordon's to Gordon stoplight drive in, or maybe they're trying to make it a new tradition or haven't been to that area before. Can you, can you let us know exactly where it's at and how to, how to reach you? Yeah. Yeah. We're real easy to get to uh, from, you know, anywhere. We're only probably 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. Uh, Take highway 55 and you'll get, you'll head to crystal city. It's 500 Bailey road, crystal city, Missouri. Uh, phone number is 636-937-9678. We're uh, Orange Roof Building right on the corner of Bailey Road and 67. Very easy to find. We keep quality as our top priority. Sometimes it's, you know, we got to spend a little more to get the highest quality stuff, but that's that's how we've always done it. And that's how we're always doing it. And we feel that that kind of sets us apart from some people doing it the exact same way every time. Um, we have a small menu that's easy, you know, easier for us to keep a hold on and that's how we get our consistency. And, you know, if you're looking for off the, off the, off the menu type of things, you know, put peanut butter on your burger and stuff like that. That's not, the, we're not the place, but if you want a good burger and fries and a couple specialty things, we're, we're your go-to. That's what I love to hear. So once again, this has been Gordon Stoplight Drive-In owner, Chris Grass, talking about the history behind this burger joint. And if you haven't gone that way yet, you definitely got to go down there. Chris, thank you so much for your time here on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. All right. Thank you. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our our safety. safety. 
visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, you knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We're back on Show Me Today. Tomorrow you'll be electing mayors, city council members, various ballot initiatives. Marshall Griffin is with our Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft. 
some general information for you to get ready for tomorrow's election day. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm concerned that a lot of people that are able to participate won't. Uh, if you actually do participate in the general municipal election, your vote is worth four, five, maybe even six times as much as it is in a nor- November general election because other people don't participate. So one vote is a much bigger percentage of what happens. So people need to get out. They need to participate. What are some things that people need to know uh, before they go to the polls? Uh, I would suggest to everyone that they reach out to their local election authority uh, to get a sample ballot. Maybe they can do that online. Maybe they can go by the office to get that. Probably too late to have it mailed to them. So they'll know what's going to be on the ballot, uh, what school board positions are open, how many, who are the candidates, how many candidates they can vote for, what bond issues are on the ballot, what they'll go to, how long they'll be, what that'll mean for their taxes. Are there tax increases specifically that they're going to be voted on? Just know what's on the ballot and then self-educate. Don't just believe yard signs or no offense, radio commercials, because candidates and elected officials aren't always as honest as we'd like them to be. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin. We're speaking with Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft regarding the upcoming municipal elections. From what I understand, even though Election Day is Tuesday, April 4th, you can actually vote right now under what's uh, under Missouri's new no-excuse early voting. Uh, am I getting that right? You are. Um, we do allow not only absentee balloting for people that have an excuse for six weeks before the election, but there are two weeks of no-excuse absentee balloting, although that no-excuse absentee balloting is in person. You'll need to go in person, and you will need to make sure you show that government-issued photo ID. And when you say in person, we're talking about uh, county courthouses, city halls? Yep. Your election authorities, yeah, wherever there's sometimes it's a county courthouse, sometimes they have a special building and an annex that they use for the election authority. But yeah, you can just reach out to your local election authority. If you don't know your local election authority, go to sos.mo.gov on our election side. You can put in your information and we'll tell you and give you the contact information for your election authority. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin. We are speaking with Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft about the April 4th elections. And Now, when somebody does go to the polls and uh, they need to show a, voter, a photo ID, uh, what type of ID is acceptable and uh, anything else they need to bring with them? It's going to be your driver's license is what most people use sometimes, or a non-expired driver's license, a non-expired Missouri non-driver's license. Uh, It could also be a military ID. It could be a passport. Uh, The statute lays out a couple of specific ones like that, but then it also lays out any ID that meets certain criteria. If anybody has any questions about whether or not their idea meets or their ID meets the criteria, I would invite them to just call the Secretary of State's office. We'd be happy to walk them through the law and make sure that they're taken care of on Election Day. And if they have that ID and go to the right polling place, that's all they need to do. And what if they don't have uh, a proper photo ID, but they uh, still want to vote? There's a mechanism for that as well, right? Right. If they uh, don't have that government-issued photo ID, they'll just need to go on Election Day. And on Election Day, they will be able to fill out a provisional ballot, um, and then they can go ahead and and vote that way. But if, if they do not have their government-issued photo ID, they will not be able to vote early in person. Uh, the compromise was if we're going to have early in person, we want to make sure people are showing that government-issued photo ID. 
And in order for that provisional ballot to be counted, they would have to come back before the polls close with photo identification. Is that correct? No, but partially correct. They could do that or when they fill out all the information on the outside of that ballot envelope, they would use their signature, obviously, on that. If they do not come back on the day of the election with that government-issued photo ID, the local election authority will verify their signature based on the signature that's on file with the election authority. When those match, that vote will be counted. All right. You are listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin, and we're speaking with Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. Are there any particular... I know that there's going to be different ballot measures or different referendums in different cities. Any in particular uh, stand out uh, to you as as uh, being you know really crucial that might have some type of statewide impact? Well, the one thing that I would mention because it will appear on a lot of ballots, no matter where people are in the state. Uh, after the passage of Amendment 3 that unfortunately decriminalized marijuana usage in the state, uh, it allowed municipalities to put a special tax uh, for marijuana. And I think that is something that you'll see on a lot of different municipalities' ballots, a lot of cities' ballots. They will ask the people if they want to uh, vote for a 3% tax uh, on marijuana. So that'll be something that we see generally around the state. Another thing that people may not know about is this will be the first statewide set of elections where you can actually uh, define yourself with party affiliation. When you go in to vote, you can ask them to put you down as a Republican, a Democrat, an independent, a libertarian, a constitutional or a Green Party can't, uh, individual if you want. You don't have to, but you're allowed to do that. Is that eventually going to change to where you have to do that, or is this just an option where you're able to if you want to? The law right now just makes it so it's something you can do if you want to. It's voluntary. It's not required. Uh, there has been talk about both making it mandatory and getting rid of, the, getting rid of it so they don't even record the voluntary part. Uh, it would just depend on whether or not the legislature passes something in the future to change it. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin. We're speaking with Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft regarding the April 4th municipal elections across Missouri. A lot of talk about election security uh, when it's a presidential election and state elections. Uh, is, is, this, is the same amount, I guess, is the same amount of vigilance being applied that you know of uh, when it comes to uh, city and town elections? Yes, in some respects, there's more concern with uh, vote fraud in smaller elections like these. There may be individuals that would not want to risk it in a November general election because there could be federal charges. Uh, but if you do it when it's just municipal items that would not rise to the level of potential federal charges. So we've actually seen historically where there were individuals that would try to perpetuate fraud in municipal elections, but they wouldn't do it in statewide elections because they were concerned about the federal government's ability to come after them. What types of election fraud will we most likely see during a municipal election? Um, previously, the concerns have mostly, although not entirely, centered around absentee ballot fraud. Uh, people that would try to uh, traffic ballots and try to collect filled out ballots from individuals or unfilled out ballots from individuals and fill those out for the individual and then turn them in. It is unfortunately uh, already illegal, but it is something that people try to do and we are vigilant and always investigating uh, concerns about that. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin and we are speaking with Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. 
If I can get off subject a little bit of the April election, uh, looking forward to next year, 2024, uh, the, of course, uh, Missouri will be having party caucuses instead of a presidential primary. Would, would your office or will your office be involved in that in any way? If they just have the caucuses, we will not be involved in them. Historically, for the last several presidential elections, we've had both the caucus and a primary election where the primary election votes were not binding. Um, there is some talk. Current law is that we will not have a presidential preference primary. We'll just have the caucus. There is talk and there are bills moving in the legislature that would move us back to having both a primary election and a caucus. Um, I am pushing the legislature to decide to do one of them. Uh, if we're going to have an election, I want that to be an election where the people's votes actually determine who the delegates are. I don't like the idea of having an election where your votes don't count. Especially if um, the state's going to be spending a few million dollars for votes that don't count, I'm assuming. Yes. If, if the presidential primary is brought back, that will cost us be probably just estimating between 10 and $12 million, probably closer to 12 than 10, uh, which is a reasonable expense if it's going to actually be binding and the people participate. But if it's uh, not binding, if it doesn't actually choose the, the delegates or the candidates, it's a waste of the taxpayer money. That was Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft talking about uh, the April 4th municipal elections. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. I've been driving trucks for a long time. Safety is my number one priority. I know that my truck has huge blind spots. That's why I remember to check my mirrors often for smaller vehicles. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're behind the wheel, try to avoid lingering in those blind spots. It can be dangerous. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. The first three years of every child's life are critical. Learn more about early intervention. How your baby or toddler plays, learns, talks, acts, and moves give important clues as to how they are developing. If you have any questions or concerns about whether your baby or toddler's development is on track, please call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. Call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. Mom and Dad used to argue about everything, especially about Dad's drinking. My family went from totally crazy to quiet, calm, and even peaceful when Mom started going to Al-Anon family groups. I wanted a better relationship with Dad, so I asked Mom if she would take me to her Al-Anon meetings or to Alateen. I'm sure glad I did. If someone's drinking troubling you, you might be surprised at what you can learn in an Al-Anon or Alateen family group from people just like you. Call 1-888-4-AL-ANON or go to alanon.org. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. You may have heard about a medical bracelet with the letters DNR, shortened for Do Not Resuscitate. One member of the Missouri House of Representatives wants to expand the DNR orders to include people under age 18. Representative Hannah Kelly is with Anthony Morbeth. The bill would allow patients under 18 years of age to have a Do Not Resuscitate order issued on his or her behalf by a parent or legal guardian or by a juvenile or a family court. And the do not resuscitate order for a patient under 18 can also function in this language as an outside the hospital do not resuscitate order unless stated otherwise in state statute. Uh, this bill would add to existing statutes that a person cannot be subject to civil, criminal, or administrative liability for certain actions upon discovery of a minor child do not resuscitate order. And the reason the impetus for this bill was to make sure that the decisions made are respected before the health, before the crisis happens, right? Um, whatever crisis might be at hand, uh, making sure that the family decisions made are respected by healthcare professionals. Um, and the bill also authorizes emergency personnel to comply with a minor child do not resuscitate order or outside the hospital do not resuscitate order. The only exception is if a parent or legal guardian or the juvenile or family court expresses in any way to emergency personnel the desire for patient to be resuscitated. Um, as we all know, life, life can be very, can hold some traumatic events, right? And so folks came to me expressing you know, some very heartbreaking stories of how the wishes of the patient and the family were not honored when the moment of crisis came. And I believe very much it's, it's very, very important to respect that structure that, that is a dynamic, a vital dynamic of healthcare, right? And, um, and therefore this is just clarifying so that Everybody knows exactly how the guardrails are when it comes to what is a very hard conversation about do not resuscitate orders. And, uh, and that's, that's the long and short of it, you know, making sure that the patient's wishes are respected and that the healthcare professionals know exactly what they need to do in that moment because we have clarified it in state statute. So let's sort of start at the beginning here. I'm not a parent yet, but uh, I don't um, think that this is necessarily across the minds of everyone who's listening to this conversation. 
So are there DNR orders for those under 18 currently? Is this uh, on sort of a state-by-state level? And and you propose under this bill to expand it to those under 18. So what, would this be decided and conducted on, uh, I would assume, the parents' behalf? So what, so what this is about, more often than not, is um, children with adverse illnesses that, um, you know, are very... I mean, it could be any of us can end up being very ill and and um, in difficult healthcare situations, right? Uh, where hard decisions have to be made before you go into a surgery. They make you sign documents, etc. Um, you know, making certain decisions, right? As an example, and so what this applies to more often than not is children who, alongside their families, dealing with heartbreaking situations that most people won't have to deal with for the, for an entirety of a lifetime if you live to be 100, um, you know, in regards to very serious illnesses um, and, and things along those lines. And so with those illnesses comes the responsibility of just as if a quote-unquote healthy person was going to go into a surgery, they would make you, you know, make decisions, Right these decisions have to be discussed with a family and a minor child when, when minor children are making decisions um, because of the fact that they are dealing with whatever healthcare issue might be at hand, whether that be, you know, a fight against cancer, whether that be, um, you know, any kind of medical issue, whether a person was born with that issue or whether it's something that, you know, like I said, comes along after birth, those decisions have to be discussed in those situations and the families that have walked this hard, hard road and dealt with very difficult things, as well as healthcare professionals have came to me and said, we just really want clarification of making sure that everyone knows where the responsibilities lie and that there's no confusion and there's no you know, there's no second guessing of anything. Everybody, everybody expressed a very intense desire to make sure that in those unfortunate moments that nobody wants to ever have to deal with, but sometimes life hands us those situations, that it's very, very clear in statute how the procedure needs to be in regards to a minor DNR. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Republican State Representative Hannah Kelly of Mountain Grove on Show Me today. We're talking about House Bill 594. It proposes modifications for the do not resuscitate orders for those under 18. So let's talk about the support and opposition this bill has. What have you heard and um, what kind of support and what kind of opposition uh, specifics have you heard? It seems to be that everybody understands the very grave concern and and difficult conversation for what it is. And there seems to be a general understanding and appreciation of just clarifying the statute to make sure that everybody knows when faced with that unfortunate situation, if the decision has been made, what statute expects to be done. Um, That way there's, it's all clear, all on the table and no confusion because we're talking about, again, such unfortunate hard situations um, that you wish people didn't have to go through, but sometimes we have to face those things. And and this is, this is just state statute clarification so that the family, the minor child, 
and the healthcare professional are absolutely on the same page. I do have a follow-up, and that is, let's say this bill passes, signed into law by the governor, and for those under 18, would there be specific and certain qualifications or conditions that warrant making and using this? This just applies to if, you know, if I if I am a minor child facing a health battle of any sort, right, to where, again, the example I use is if you and I as quote-unquote healthy people were going to go into a surgery, there are certain decisions that we would have to make in the event that things took a turn for the worse, right? And, um, and, and so this is just guidance for after the minor child and the family and the healthcare professional have decided whether or not a DNR should be signed. This is guidance for after that decision is made. Any uh, concluding and closing comments you wanted to mention? No, I would just say, again, this is a, this is nothing more, nothing less than clarification for everyone at the table serving the families in Missouri when faced with very difficult situations and making sure that healthcare professionals and making sure that EMS professionals um, out in the field are very, very, very cognizantly aware of the healthcare decisions that have already been made and have very clear guidance about what to do in regards to the healthcare decisions that have been made. If there is not a DNR on file, then this doesn't even come into the conversation. Um, but if there is, this is the statutory, this hopefully once passed, will be the statutory update clarification for families in those unfortunate situations. It's House Bill 594. You can keep up with the latest movement on that piece of legislation at house.mo.gov. State Representative Hannah Kelly here on Show Me Today. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Wrapping up here on Show Me Today, at the first weekend of baseball in the books, the Toronto Blue Jays jumping across the state now to play the Royals this evening, and uh, the Cardinals will be hosting the Atlanta Braves. And the national championship game tonight, UConn taking on San Diego State. What a run by the Aztecs. Coming up on tomorrow's program, the good news, our black bear population is growing, but that means they're moving around the state. The Missouri Department of Conservation will share how to be bear aware. For Anthony Morbeth, Elisa Nelson, and Cameron Connor, I'm Bill Pollack. Thanks for listening. Show me today.